Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to be with you in this day and age of COVID-19 still continuing to impact our communities. The pandemic rolls on, and one of the responsibilities our co-host Carol Zerniel has had is to work very closely with an outreach program called WellMed Delivers, and boy, have they been delivering. Carol is the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and as always, Carol, it's good to talk with you. It's nice to be here. You all have been really delivering. Well, we have. You know, we've we've had um, over 150 referrals a day for urgent food across our our well med cities, and so this is an, an effort in Texas and Florida, and it's really an honor uh, to be able to serve families um, during this time of need. And one of the things it has done is put a spotlight on. How many seniors uh, live in food deserts who don't have access if they can't get up and out of their homes? They have great difficulty finding food. Well, and a lot of family members that they might have relied on in the past to help them with food, maybe now they don't have a job or they can't get out and get to the store. So there are a lot of factors that go into food insecurity, but it's a big issue and we don't expect that it's going to change anytime soon. And for caregivers who are who are listening, who who may face that same problem, how do they get a hold of WellMed Delivers? Well, um, all of our uh, referrals come from our WellMed clinics and our senior centers and our community programs. So caregiversos.org is the entryway for any of the families, our family caregivers who are caring for an older loved one um, that needs some help. Well, that's perfect. And speaking of caregiving, we have someone who has not only done a great deal of it, works for an organization, AARP, that is very much involved in aging in America, has written a book, Juggling Life, Work, and Caregiving. Her name is Amy Goyer. She's a writer, a speaker, a consultant, and serves as AARP's national family and caregiving expert. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel is here. Amy Goyer, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Juggling life, work, and caregiving, uh, that's the title of every caregiver's life. Right, it's so true, and and about 60% of family caregivers are working at a paid job while they are caregiving for other loved ones. For many, you know, their caregiving role is another part-time or even full-time job. So there is a lot to juggle, and never enough minutes in the day. How did you get involved in, in caregiving? Rarely is it something someone dreams of becoming. You know, it's just something that happens um, when the need arises, and that's, you know, for some families, it's a a sudden crisis, um, a health crisis, an accident, something that causes your loved one to need some assistance. Um, For others, it's more of a long, slow decline or a a, a chronic health issue. For example, my, uh, excuse me, my grandmother and my father both had Alzheimer's disease, and that's a very slow, long progression, as opposed to my mom had a stroke, and then suddenly there was a caregiving need. Uh, And you also provided help for your sisters? 
Yeah, so my um, my oldest sister Karen had Cushing disease. So again, that was it was a, a, an issue. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but it's there's a tumor on the pituitary gland that causes the body to be producing too much cortisol, and it, it ended up with diabetes and um, skin problems and all kinds of it. Just kind of destroys your body. So over time, uh, first of all, she had a lot of health issues that it took forever to get it actually diagnosed correctly. And then um, she had two surgeries to try and remove the tumor. So every time there was a surgery, I was her power of attorney and I was tried to be there. And um, when she had complications from the surgery and blood clots and, you know, how, how that goes. But she, um, for her, unfortunately, they were never able to get all of the tumor. And she, um, she passed away in 2014. And my mom passed away in 2013, the year before her. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I have done, which many caregivers do, is I care for more than one person. I've cared um, for both, you know, my uh, three of my grandparents at one time when I was in my 20s, and then both of my parents and my sister at one time. So, you know, it, it's, it's not just uh, uh, having two full-time jobs. Sometimes it's having three or four full-time jobs. Well, it's amazing you kept your sanity. Carol, what do you think? Well, you know, I was just thinking that AARP really is a leader in research on caregiving, and they're probably one of the few organizations that points out that there are, I'll call serial caregivers or multiple caregivers, where it's not that sandwich generation necessarily where it's you're caring for someone older and a younger family. There are a lot of people who are caring for multiple family members, and there's probably not much notice. And as you think about the work, Amy, that you did, uh, ultimately, it, it not only uh, was built on what was your professional expertise as a music therapist, uh, but led you into a career that uh, has brought you really into national prominence on the Today Show on NBC and elsewhere, talking about what you learned and helping caregivers everywhere. Uh, w- when you think about the advice you can give uh, for the person listening who it's going to happen, God forbid it in us, but they get a call at midnight tonight, grandma's in the uh, uh, NICU and they need help, what's the best advice for someone who's the instant overnight caregiver? Well, you know, um, the best advice is to be thinking about it ahead of time, of course, and to have certain things already in place, especially the legal matters. Again, my my sister had made me power of attorney. My parents had done that as well, so that when sudden things happen, you have someone who can step in. So I would say to any caregiver right now, make sure that those legal advance directives are in place so that you know your loved one's wishes, um, a living will, their power of attorney, all of those uh, documents in place. So that's the first thing to do. If suddenly you find yourself in this situation, you know, right now with COVID-19, it's even more complicated because for many of us, you know, my advice would always be get to the hospital, be there right away, you know, don't leave, advocate for your loved one, anyone who's ill needs someone to advocate for them. But it's just gut-wrenchingly difficult now for many caregivers who cannot be at the hospital. They're not allowed to have visitors. So you have to be managing everything over the phone. And so that's the first hurdle is to kind of get through the hospital time. I really stress that, you know, family caregivers have a right to be designated. Um, they AARP has worked hard in many states 
I think about 40 states have passed a version of the CARE Act in which family caregivers are identified when someone is admitted to the hospital and they are supposed to be notified if the person is moved and they're supposed to receive some education and training about caregiving tasks they're going to need to do when the person comes home. So make sure, you know, find out if that's passed in your state and also um, just be, you know, be there on the phone, be that presence, find out who you can call that will really talk to you. You know, sometimes you need to find who the nurse is on that floor at what time, what time does the shift change, you know, do the best you can from a distance and be thinking ahead to when your loved one does get out of the hospital, what are the, what is the care plan? Now, for those of you who may have just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron. Our special guest today talking to us from the other coast, Amy Goyer, who's a writer, a speaker, a consultant, and AARP's national family and caregiving expert. And our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is with us as well. And Amy, I've got a neighbor whose uh, wife is in a memory unit, has been there for almost two years now. He went to war with that residential facility when they changed the rules and wouldn't let him in. Uh, and he threatened to sue on the basis of uh, their letter saying why he couldn't come in gave him a reason to be there. It said only people who are instrumental and, and directly involved in care uh, for the subject should be allowed in. He was feeding her two meals a day. He was dressing mm-hmm. her, washing her, you know, cleaning her. Uh, and mm-hmm. they gave in. They said, oh, yeah, you can come in. We'll, we'll let you in rather than go to war with him. Wow, good for him. Hey, you know, give him a big hug. For, well, you can't give him a hug right now, but... I'll give him a virtual please, hug. Please give him my kudos, because I've, I interact with many, many family caregivers. Um, AARP has a family caregivers Facebook group that you can join, AARP's family caregivers discussion group that I moderate. I interact with thousands of caregivers, and so many of them have tried that argument and have tried. I, I have caregivers who are just heartbroken, because as you say, they're the ones that go in and help their loved ones eat every day, and they see them wasting away because that's not they're not there. That's not happening. And, so, and, and the solution for him for being a strong advocate. I think um, even uh, the uh, Centers for Medi- Medicare and Medicaid Services and the CDC have said that there are some exceptions to the visitor rule uh, for compassionate care, and right. that may be end of life care, which is important. But in some cases, like like your neighbor, I've heard that they have been able to convince them that you know, for someone who has dementia in particular. They need that family member around, um, whether they're in the hospital or in a, a nursing facility. Well, when he first told me about it, he had tears in his eyes. He said their solution was to parade all these people uh, in, in the front of a big picture window, and we stood on the outside. He said, you know, my wife doesn't know me anymore. She didn't recognize me. Uh, mm-hmm. Put into a situation like that is very frightening for her, uh, and mm-hmm. it simply doesn't work. They need to be flexible. And as I say, mm-hmm. he went to war and won. Carol, what do you think about that? Well, you know, I, I think that Amy and your neighbor are absolutely right. Um, a lot of times advocates for, you know, caregiver advocates uh, are not appreciated um, in hospitals uh, and long-term care facilities, but we absolutely have to because they no one knows our relatives the way that we do. And there are special situations where even during COVID, like your neighbor said, you know, he, he to watch his wife waste away because no one's feeding her. Right. That's not any better than getting COVID. I'm, you know, so you're picking your poison. 
No, I can remember. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the other point about it is, you know, the nursing facilities, the assisted living facilities, they need to protect the residents. So I have no problem with them setting some boundaries in terms of visitors. But in these circumstances, there are ways to do everything you can to have safety precautions. I'm sure your your neighbor has to wear gloves right. and a mask right. and gown up, and there's certain things, or they keep his wife separate. But, you know, as long as those safety precautions are followed to protect the other residents from something he might bring into the facility. And we know a lot of those facilities are understaffed, so uh, the fact that they now have eliminated a lot of the unpaid help they were getting uh, causes a lot of problems for those residents. Stick with me. We're going to come right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking with Amy Goyer, writer, speaker, consultant with AARP's National Family and Caregiving Expert. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is with us as well. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. And we sure hope you follow up with that. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is with us as well. And we're talking with Amy Goyer, who's with AARP. Amy also has been a caregiver for a number of her family members and is an author of the book Juggling Life, Work, and Caregiving. Before we jump back to Amy, uh, Carol, uh, the idea about getting help uh, for folks, as that little PSA says, uh, can, can be very helpful bridging that gap between I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go for help. Well, you know, a lot of times our caregivers start out not knowing even the questions to ask. And so what's great about Caregiver SOS and other groups like the Facebook group that Amy's talking about with AARP is that we get a chance to hear other caregivers talk and we get a chance to find out we're not the only one and realize, oh, this is what I, this is where I'm trying to go. These are the questions I'm trying to answer. Now, Amy, as you take a look at uh, the challenges that families are, are facing today, uh, a lot of your work has been in trying to make that life a little easier as a music therapist, trying to connect folks who are uh, perhaps not connected with the present, but certainly could connect uh, to the music that was the music of their life. You're also a certified aging in place specialist, and at the moment, everybody's aging in place. Yeah, that's very true. Yes, I did start my career out as a music therapist, and um, and then ended. You know, uh, I was an administrator of an adult daycare centers, and I worked for the Ohio Department of Aging, and then for um, AARP full time for 15 years, and then uh, went out on my own as a consultant. So I had more flexibility to care for my parents and my sister. So you know, I've had um, worked in this field of aging for more than 35 years in in various capacities. And, you know, I bring that to um, the work that I do and to my caregiving. You know, I always felt like I have a huge advantage over most caregivers because I've worked in this field and I know how the systems work. And it's still really hard for me. So I have a lot of compassion for caregivers, as Carol said, who who don't know the questions to ask. They, They just don't even know where to start. 
And, you know, we want to be able to help caregivers connect with each other because we learn the most from each other, but also connect with uh, practical resources, ways that they can understand, you know, what is an area agency on aging? What are local services? How do I work with the VA? Those are uh, so important and all things that have been very helpful in my caregiving experience. As you say, you know, the vast majority of people want to age in place in their own homes. And I had my both of my parents uh, move in with me so that I could take care of them better. And I was living in their old house. So it just worked out perfectly. They moved back into their house. And, um, and we we had to do some changes in the house to make it safe for them to live at home. So we all need to be thinking about this going forward. Now, one of the challenges uh, with aging in place, uh, and Carol can talk at length about this, uh, is the isolation that comes with that. And we're discovering now, by forced isolation, that, that for many, it's a life-threatening situation. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, isolation is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day in terms of the detrimental effects on our health, our physical health, you know, in addition to mental health, of course. And so, you know, that's a really striking thing to think about. And I think you're absolutely right that so many of us now will have more empathy and compassion for people who are isolated because we're all being in this forced isolation situation. Myself, I got sick in March and I had to isolate for six weeks, even though my sister lives next door. I couldn't even see her. And oh my gosh, you know, it's really difficult. And uh, I think we all realize that. So, you know, I hope that going forward, we'll have a better handle and a feel for the importance of those social connections with older people who are aging in place, um, but are still, you know, somewhat isolated because of that. Carol? Well, you know, I was uh, making a comment to someone that caregivers, now everyone is feeling the pain that caregivers feel. Caregivers don't get to go out shopping when they want. They don't get to go see their friends when they want. They don't go to the movies. And now everybody's been in the same boat. So for caregivers, (laughs) is this a pandemic or is this Tuesday as usual? I mean, it's the same life experience. I think about that, Carol, because when I was caring for my parents, I, you know, I had a support system of help. I had paid help. We had help from the VA for my dad. And I worked full-time, and then I did all the evenings and the weekends by myself, and on the week, by Monday morning when I was going to work, it was it was a relief to me. You know, that was my respite going to work. Well, now I'm not going to my office. I'm working at home, and think of all the caregivers who Monday morning never comes, and, you know, they're they're not even, as you say, able to go to the grocery store to get a little bit of a break. Many caregivers don't even want to go out and do that because they don't want to risk bringing anything home to their loved ones. You know, so even more isolated than ever. With voluntary isolation, voluntary uh, uh, quarantine, I find, and maybe I'm the only one, uh, sometimes I lose track of the days of the week. Yes. Oh, me too. Especially on Sunday, I, <laughs> I, I said to my sister, wait. What day is it? I couldn't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday or what. Yeah, but it's weird how the routine is just every day is the same. For those who are not doing well with this, uh, we mentioned earlier, get help. Talk to someone. Who do you recommend they talk to as you think about the issues, Amy? 
Well, you know, that's a really important point in that, you know, who do you talk to? And the first thing that I suggest is to connect with other caregivers because, uh, you know, again, no one quite gets it like someone else who's going through a similar situation. So there are ways to do that through support groups. Many support groups that aren't meeting in person now because of COVID-19 are doing so on the telephone or online. They may have Zoom sessions. So, um, you know, you can look for a, a local uh, a support group, either contact your area agency on aging, and you can find it by going to elder care locator at eldercare.acl.gov and call them up, say, I need a list of local caregiver support groups. You can also call the local hospital. Sometimes they have um, specific, disease-specific. You can go to the Alzheimer's Association or the Heart Association or the Diabetes Association, find out what support groups they have. Again, many of them will have offerings online. Um, AARP works with the Alzheimer's Association on a search tool called the Community Resource Finder, and that's just community resource finder.org and you can put in your zip code and find local Alzheimer's uh, uh, support groups that way too. The other thing is social media. As I mentioned, our Facebook group has been growing by leaps and bounds because We've got people who are already on Facebook. They're used to using Facebook, so they are, are coming to the group, and it's a closed group so that we protect our members from solicitations and scammers and that sort of thing so that they can, they can vent, um, you know, they can ask practical questions. I do a lot of helping them get find local resources, and they can, you know, just get encouragement and inspiration from each other. I think that's a really um, important thing as well. We've got about three minutes left, and I want to bring Carol into the conversation. For some of you who are wondering why uh, we're, we're cueing Carol to jump in, she, although she sounds like she's sitting next to me, is in a remote studio, and at the moment uh, we can't see each other. Next time we do this, we need to use FaceTime so that we can cue each other visually. But, Carol, uh, in, in, with about two, two and a half minutes left, what, what do you uh, think caregivers can bring uh, out of what Amy's talking about? Well, I, you know, the, the idea of finding help, you know, all of the great suggestions that Amy made are about not, not isolating, are about finding other caregivers, are about interacting with others. Caregiving should not be a solo sport, right? It's a team sport. Uh, and we, even if you have to do that remotely these days, uh, the, you need to connect with your, the other people. And, and if you don't have a team, you need to create a team to help support you. That's a great uh, headline for one of the articles you write. Care- I'll work on that. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Caregiving is a team sport. Uh, and, and it truly Absolutely. is. That is a, that's a great sense. I have a whole chapter in my book on building your team. I completely agree with Carol. Well, I, I was well, going to ask one, you. One of the most common things I hear from caregivers is I'm, I'm alone. I don't have any help. And so I say, okay, so you've got to build a team outside your family. It's not always just family. In fact, after Jamie Heisman, a, a psychologist we work with from time to time on Caregiver SOS on air, often talks about families of choice. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. Tell us a little yeah, bit about we, your we book. We had fa- paid caregivers who became like family members, and uh, my mom's hairstylist who would come and get her and take her to get her hair done every Friday when I was out of town, and her nail manicurist who would help out, and my dad's masseuse, and I had a gal who came and did water exercise with my dad. You know, you, you piece it together. It's like a big jigsaw puzzle, and all together you make a team. Tell us about your book and the time we have remaining. My book is Juggling Life, Work, and Caregiving. It's available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And uh, in, in the book, I cover finances, health issues, um, caring for someone at home, caring for someone in a facility, legal issues, um, end-of-life care, and life after caregiving, which is something we don't talk about enough. You know, I'm going through that now. My dad passed away. Actually, next week, it'll be two years. And it's been a rough two years for me. My whole life has focused around caring for others for so long. Um, so my book covers that, and uh, and I want it to be a, a practical resource for people. I know that I'm a, I've been a caregiver. You don't have time to read a lot of fluff. So there's um, there are some personal anecdotes in it, but mostly it's helpful, useful, practical information. Interesting to hear you mention that about life after caregiving because my mom now passed away but cared for my dad for many years and after he died she was left alone out you know out there on an ice floe uh, with nobody around anymore yeah yeah it's it's such a it's a really strange thing it's been much harder than i even anticipated knowing what i know and i you know my caregiving for many family members has has ended over time but with my dad you know he had alzheimer's it was very intensive cared for him for almost a dozen years, starting out long distance, then moving to be near them, and then having him live with me for six years. And, you know, it changes your life, and there's quite a sense of purpose in it. So, you know, I've had to be patient with myself. Where do we find your book, Juggling Life, Work, and Caregiving? You can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or you can also find it on the AARP website. And it's Amy Goyer, G-O-Y-E-R. That's correct. Amy, and thank you. And please do um, visit aarp.org slash caregiving for a great deal of coronavirus, COVID-19 information, as well as every t- uh, caregiving topic. We have tips and tools and articles and all kinds of great resources there. Flat out of time. Thank you so much. Amy Goyer, for Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.